It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. It's cliche to say it, but it's true. We're living in a frighteningly similar world to George Orwell's classic novel, 1984. Where it's not just people that are spies, but everything can be a spy. And people are making money off of it to fuel this big brother world. It's a panopticon of mass surveillance, and here at Motherboard, Jason Kebler and Emmanuel Myberg broke the news of yet another company hawking its dystopian services. That's now on Cyber. Okay, guys, so Banjo, it's a surveillance company. But before we get into that, how did you find out about this company called Banjo? Wait, hi, I'm Jason. Hi, I'm Emmanuel. Yeah, we're, we're here the cyber with listeners, you today. The cyber listeners know this. <laughs> they do, they do. Every podcast, though, they do like a deep intro, like, I am so-and-so, here's my title. But and that's what the VO for before this is going to be. Oh, you're going to do, but they know our voices, you think? I'm going to say with me is they're going to, people are going to be listening to this they and they're going to know that know I already did that. Keep this all in. By <laughs> oh, the way. I'm going to. How will they know who is Jason and who is Emmanuel? <sighs> this is Jason, just so you know. Jason, I can hear your long fucking hair from here. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Emmanuel. Yes. Emmanuel learned what banjo is. Yeah. So uh, I actually forget exactly where I saw it. I believe it was on Reddit, maybe even the Utah Reddit. But it was just a small story by a local news station about a new company uh, in the state that is doing some uh, interesting new forms of policing or providing uh, software to the police that will help them solve crimes much more quickly by uh, gaining access to all this data that the state has. And it was a very positive story, uh, fawning, like, look at how incredible technology is these days and what can it do and all that, but my first question, you know, being uh, at Motherboard for a few years now was, what is this company and how are they getting this data and how does it work and yeah. Time as you know it is about to change forever. The world has erupted with billions of digital signals happening around you every day. The noise level is extreme. People spend so much time analyzing the billions of signals happening. And then, so as you'll hear, this is the CEO of Banjo named Damian Patton. And we heard this clip. We read the Associated News story, which said that this company was claiming to solve crimes within, quote, seconds. And anytime you see really an artificial intelligence company promising anything, it's usually not all it's cracked up to be. And also there's a lot of questions that pop up, like, where is it getting this data? Uh, you know, are they protecting people's privacy? How are they working with cops? Like, what were these sorts of uh, privacy assessments done? Um, how did they get all this money? And so we started digging. I also think, too, I mean, when you're looking at something like a local news story, because of sort of the evisceration of local news, you don't have the same scrutiny around companies anymore. And when you hear a company like this, they can kind of operate with impunity because a lot of people aren't really understanding what it is and why it's there. And it's only showing up on local news where you have a boomer population that just wants to hear positive news stories. So you see it. Okay. You see it. 
And then what? Because obviously you well, can't just go ju- off of just, go off of a local news. Just so what a really next? a really quick side point on what you just said. Once we published the story, maybe four or five different reporters in Utah have reached out to us saying, "Hey, like we wrote about banjo before, and we thought that it was really nefarious, but we didn't have the time or resources huh. to dive into this." And but then you like looked at their stories, and they were these fawning stories where it's just like. I'm seriously not trying to talk shit like they they did what they had to do. But a lot of these local news stories had interviews with the CEO and the questions that were asked were like, why do you like the state of Utah? Or like, why are you so awesome? Yeah, like, do you enjoy it living here and stuff like that? And it's like, you know, we're a national news company and we, we do have resources, but this was something that we did over a weekend largely you asked what next after we read the story Mm -hmm. i believe it was uh the end of a long day when i saw this story the local news story and i think i just slacked jason the link and i said what the fuck is banjo let's foia this so you foia it yeah so we have a service called muckrock which makes it easy to file freedom of information requests um which Every interaction with a local government or any government is public or it should, it's like achieve, you can get the documents via public information request. And so in Utah, the law is called GRAMA. I don't know what it stands for, but it's G-R-A-M-A. Maybe just GRAMA. It could be, yeah. And so the, the news stories listed a few different entities that Banjo was working <clears throat> with. And so it was like a couple different local, uh, you know, city councils and police departments, as well as the Utah Department of Transportation. And so we had like a FOIA template essentially that we used for some of our previous reporting uh, that Caroline Haskins did on Ring that we worked with her on that sort of grabs like emails, contracts, uh, like presentations, um, you know, a couple other things. Like it's a, it's a long template, but it's easy to file once you sort of have the template down. And so we just asked for basically any emails that mention the word banjo, anything like with the CEO, any emails, any communications. And I sent off maybe like 10 of those, which quite honestly took 20 minutes at most. Uh, it's a pretty quick thing. And then I went on vacation and I came back 10 days later and I had a bunch of documents in my email. And so you get these documents and you start getting an answer to what the fuck is banjo? So what the fuck is banjo? So Banjo is a company that promises to detect anomalies using its artificial intelligence and machine learning. Like Minority Uh, Report. Yes, like Minority Report and like a lot of other predictive policing companies. However, Banjo's whole thing, which we were very skeptical of, it's one reason why we started looking into it, was that they strip all the public or the personally identifiable information from what they collect. So what they say is that they alert police to crimes as they happen based on social media posts, based on anomalies that they detect in CCTV cameras and traffic cameras that they gain access to from governments, uh, based on satellite imagery, based on Internet of Things devices, uh, and like audio sensors, and all these things that sound really dystopian and are really dystopian it's it's kind of unclear like how it does this and whether it actually works and how much data it actually has and where it's getting it but that's what they promise and so 
um, yeah, they say that they can find the crime without finding the criminal. Um, they, so they like point the police to a mass shooting or a kidnapping or a robbery in action and the cops show up there and then the cops do their own police work. And by doing this, they say that they're protecting people's privacy. But so just so I'm following, they're claiming to have access to all of these different platforms to gather data. So that includes, you know, surveillance cameras that the government operates. That includes what else? Is this like internal databases of driver license information, things like this? Like, is this, yeah, is it, is it essentially, yeah, so, uh, is it essentially, is it essentially like a Palantir? I would say the difference is that Palantir uh, does use like a lot of archival uh, data, license plates. Uh, I don't know. Do they have mugshots? Uh, but like things that exist in records, whereas Banjo, the thing that it sets it apart and the way it pitches itself is that it's interested in live data. So it's not just uh, like running a search on things that already exist, but things as they're happening. And that's why they want cameras and audio and satellite imagery and social media. Right. So, like I mean, you bring up Palantir and that's a really important thing. And um, we'll get to that in like one second. So we get these documents and we see sort of these contracts between them and local governments as well as like emails. Um, and we learn that they have this contract with the Department of Transportation in uh, in Utah, which operates more than 1,000 traffic cameras in the state. Uh, and these are like live traffic cameras used by like newscasters and used just by the, the state to be like, oh, there's a traffic jam here. Like, you know, there's gonna be a five minute delay on your highway commute or whatever. Uh, and not only did they gain access to those cameras, but they gained access to the servers that they were being run on. So they were able to install their own infrastructure within the headquarters of the Department of Transportation of Utah and collect this data. And not only that, they were recording it for 24 hours and claiming that they could analyze it. So like if they wanted to find a red car, uh, you know, they could find it anywhere in the in the state based on their technology like that's what they were saying and so like once i heard this i was like oh that's crazy um let's dive more into like how they're selling themselves and that sort of thing so in these documents we learned that they had an overarching contract with the state which we didn't know before um is not hidden but we just didn't know it so we found the um we found the contract number looked up the contract and learned that utah had promised a $20.1 million. They signed, They basically gave the company $20.1 million to do this. And we learned that they were working not only with the Department of Transportation and a couple local police, uh, police forces, but in all of Utah's counties, in all of its major cities, hmm. uh, on the University of Utah's campus. And what they were promising was even more than what they were saying publicly. So they were promising not only to like be able to track down kidnapping victims, but also to uh, be able to uh, detect opioid events, which is a very vague uh, phrasing. But basically, they were promising to be able to like find drug users or drug deals or drug deals. Yeah, unclear. And they were also promising to they had quote a solution for homelessness. And like that was also, that's also really creepy and unclear what it means. So then I filed more FOIAs, but I also started tracking down what Banjo was saying to people around the state. Uh, luckily, my mom 
worked for local government, still works for local government. She filmed, she's a- Shout uh, out Jason's mom. Shout yeah. out Jason's mom. Front she's of the a, show. Front she's of a the public show. information officer for a city in Maryland, and she films their city council meetings and responds to FOIA requests and uh, like runs their website and posts like all their information on their website and their social media and all this stuff. So as a kid, I sort of learned that all of this stuff is videotaped, at least in a lot of cities. And, you know, someone like my mom in Utah is probably uploading these videos somewhere. So I had to sit through a lot of super boring uh, city council meetings when I was a kid because she had to work late on Mondays. And I was like, I think that this these presentations must exist somewhere. So I started searching through a bunch of small towns in Utah, and I found Banjo's presentations to them. So Banjo. Banjo is a tech company that started about 10 years ago. Uh, you may or may so essentially there's this guy named Brian Smith, and he's their top lobbyist. He used to work for the, uh, the like, Utah state um, legislature, and he's now their top lobbyist. And he's been going all over the, the state selling this uh, product, signing up uh, these local cities and um, police departments to get their data. So he goes, he's like, I'm not selling you anything. I just want your data, more or less. And then they ask questions like, hey, what is Banjo? And how is it different from Palantir? Everyone seems to have that question. Yeah, and he described it as Palantir, but faster. So we're, very, we're different from Palantir. We essentially do a, uh, most of what Palantir does. We just do it live. Right? So Palantir is a tool you guys use for analysis. And so now, like, this has been going on for six months. Like, not that long, but six months. But he's crisscrossing the state, just signing up, just, info, like, ingesting data. They're getting data from all over the state. And yet we're not really sure, like, whether this thing works, whether the anonymity is real, like, whether it's been used in any cases. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to me, to me, it sounds like uh, it almost seems that it's okay. Let's say it does work. The real question is when it's being implemented within six months or however, however young it is right now. How are there privacy protections on it when it's that it's that rookie? It's that unknown. Yeah, I mean, this company has been around for ten years. Uh, they only recently started working with law enforcement, and they say. That, you know, pre- previous to this, they sort of had a product that detected these events for news operations. So they claimed that they could sort of detect like mass shootings and tell journalists about it. And, and not the police? Well, they they were doing it. They were selling this data to like Sinclair and Fox News and like a couple hmm. other outlets. And then at some point they pivoted to, to law enforcement. Again, like what are their, it just seems like it's functioning into this very nebulous space of privacy protections. Like what, what, how is it not? I mean, obviously now it's getting scrutiny for it. I don't know. I mean, we, we don't know. We really, we just don't know. They, pr- they promise a lot, but we, we haven't seen much from it. We tried to talk to Banjo over and over and over again, they didn't respond. And so we have, you know, a lot of their presentations and their YouTube videos and that sort of thing. And we have all these documents, but we still haven't been like inside Banjo. Like we don't know exactly how their anonymity systems work or whether they do work. So like Palantir that was originally founded by Peter Thiel, a very interesting Silicon Valley billionaire, Banjo has has a very interesting character atop of it. Doesn't it? It's a man with a. From what I remember seeing the picture of, it's a man with a cowboy hat. Uh, 
I don't know about the cowboy hat, but there is a very uh, prominent beard, a very long, okay. ZZ Top style. It's very ZZ Top style, yeah. yes. Um, but he didn't always have the beard. Uh, the beard seems pretty recent. Uh, Damien Patton. Yeah, you can't have a beard that recent. Do you know what I mean? He well, seemed to have grown it quite fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but beard yeah, extensions, he, okay. All right. he's, a, he's a very interesting uh, character. Um, he got his start. Well, I will repeat his biography that he loves repeating in all his public talks, which is uh, he was in the Navy. He did two two tours in Desert Storm. Uh, he was a NASCAR uh, pit mechanic. And then he uh, pivoted to tech, where he started with a flooring company, a online flooring company community. And eventually, he does not talk about the flooring company. No, we did. <laughs> we did find a blog where he's very proud of it, but he he doesn't mention the flooring company in his uh, talks anymore. Uh, but yeah, at some point he uh, makes his way to the valley, and he's. Uh, doing this hackathon, I think it's uh, at Google, and he comes up with this app called Banjo, which basically kind of scrapes social media, and according to your settings, your preferences, your social media connections, it surfaces things that you might be interested in. We could also search by a keyword and an interest of ours. So, for example, if, if I'm interested in talking to people that are in tech or interested in people that are into some sort of music, as I travel through life, my interests change, and therefore you can change your interests on banjo. We can also and the original pitch for this is just to get you to notice things around you. So let's say you're traveling and you're in Boston and your favorite band is there then it will send you an alert and say, hey, your favorite band is in town. You might want to go to a show. And he goes around and he pitches this uh, for several years, I would say like 2012 to 2014, um, giving talks about the benefits of this app just in terms of like the social media landscape. And then it pivots from that to this app providing alerts for news organizations. Uh, Like, for example, if Vice, we have something similar. I think it's called Data Miner here. Do we have that? I, we have something I've like never that. used it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, the Vice News team uses it, and it's just like, hey, everybody's talking about this thing in this city. You might want to look into that. So he was providing a service like that. But then in 2015, it pivots from that into, well, this could be useful for police because they might want to know, like, if there's an explosion somewhere. So, for example, the 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 story he loves repeating is he got the idea to provide this to law enforcement after the Boston Marathon bombing. And he said that Banjo's system immediately surfaced the fact that there was an explosion and he was able to go into the system in Banjo and see what people were posting about it, see pictures from that moment in time at the marathon. And he claims that he was immediately able to identify one of the bombers and that he provided this information to law enforcement. Of course. No, sorry. They were in the background of someone's photo and it was the it was a picture of the older brother. So, what do you mean what happened next? I sent the photo to the authorities. So, there you have it. And so, okay, and then that's, a- after that's, that, that is like, I'm going to call bullshit on that. Well, I, I, it just seems uh, unlikely. And obviously, we contacted the company asking specifically what he did and what he noticed and what he provided to law enforcement. They never replied to us, but. Yeah, I think it's fair to be skeptical of that. It's also one of those things where you can say you did that and there's not a lot of ways of checking 
and whether or not you're telling the truth. Well, there's a way of checking. They just don't want to respond. <laughs> no, no, no. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I can say that or he could say that, but he knows that the cops are never going to say it either way. Yeah. And so after that, there was the Las Vegas shooting at uh, Mandalay Bay. And they said that they were able to detect that as well. Um, that's like a sort of a core uh, sales pitch that Ryan Smith has been going around the state telling people. But these are just major events, though. These are like, major events. And, and so, I mean, it's also unclear. On Twitter, unclear, you'll see them within 10 minutes. That's like, what I'm saying. It's also unclear, like, how this is necessarily faster than uh, just seeing, like, oh, shit. Like, I don't know. I feel like I find out about that stuff very quickly just because I'm refreshing my Twitter feed. But uh, that that's kind of neither here nor there. The, the, this basically, they're using these two events as well as what they say is a... Um, child abduction test in Utah where they say that uh, through the attorney general of Utah, they did a child abduction like training test with cops all over the state. And the cops using their traditional tools took eight hours to find the simulated child and Banjo took 29 seconds or something like this. Oh my God. And so after this happened, the Utah Attorney General seemingly like got on board, and this is how like you this is how Banjo kind of got into the state in the first place. The thing is, we haven't seen any of the specifics about how this worked. We don't know whether the this test was rigged. We don't know if the test actually even happened. So I guess on the one hand, with this company, it's what they're providing and what they do seems. I mean, is it factual? Is it is it fantasy? And then the other is that if it is true, it's quite dystopic. Right. Yeah. So I think the tension with the story and uh, it's similar to a lot of these companies is that once you get past the idea of uh, this tool working like the cops want it to work and it providing them with immediate alerts about um, how to prevent crime before it happens or uh, how to stop a crime in seconds of it happening, um you have a tool that is just really powerful and scary in the amount of data it collects and uh, what it knows about people and all of it being collected, not just by the state, but by a private company, a profit-seeking company. Um, and that's really scary in theory. Uh, but the other part of that is that we don't know if it, if it works. Like, if it works, it would be an amazing, groundbreaking, revolutionary technology. That is terrifying. That is, that is terrifying, but it's uh, you. It's it, it's hard to believe. You know what I mean? It's like you have a lot. You have really big players in this space working on this stuff. They don't advertise this capability. So this little company in Utah is able to do this. It's it just seems uh, a little unlikely. It seems a little unlikely, but I mean, let's say let's say it's not true. Then the other side of it is you have a state government giving twenty million dollars to something that doesn't work. That's still $20 million of taxpayers' dollars. That can go into a lot of different places than something that doesn't work. Right. Obviously, I can't say for sure, and none of us can say for sure until Banjo or Utah shows us exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But I suspect that what we have is what we see in a lot of places, which is a lot of government money going to a private contractor and not and that contractor not necessarily providing uh, to, you know, bang for your buck services for the people of Utah. And, and that's true everywhere. We see it in the military. We see it with law enforcement. It just 
it's it's money being funneled from the government into a private company. But I also think, I mean, what makes this story very interesting to me is that, you know, we focus a lot of attention at Motherboard on big companies like Palantir that provide so many services to local police departments we don't even think of, right? But little do we know, there's this sort of other side of smaller cottage industry type companies that we don't even know the names of that are getting $20 million contracts with states to provide similar services. But it's all in service of this sort of big data surveillance state in which we now live in. And there are many players we don't even know of. Yeah. Something reporting on this made me think is that maybe what is happening is that these companies have identified a market. And the market is a bunch of law enforcement agencies that are not necessarily uh, fluent in technology as some other industries, desperately wanting tools that make their jobs uh, safer, easier, better. I mean, even from like purely altruistic intentions, police officers trying to be the best police officers that they can be. And you have these tech companies who uh, can roll into town like Banjo did and roll into these town hall meetings like Banjo did and throw around like these really complicated, impressive ideas like uh, machine learning and natural language processing. And like these are really complicated ideas and technologies where even, you know, us as a publication that is dedicated to this stuff, we have a hard time parsing what is real and what is bullshit. And if you're just on a city council uh, in a small town in Utah, like what are the chances that you're really able to evaluate this technology properly and make the right call? You maybe you just sign up for the for the nice pitch and and get the service and hope for the best. And you know you get to go back to you know the people in your town and say like, look look at what we did. We're trying yeah, to help our police officers. We, we can predict crime now. Don't worry, right. everyone should feel safe. Yeah. That's really, I think we're going to leave it on that dark note, just like that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ben, hi. Hello, sir. Where are you recording this? I, I'm I'm coming to you from an undisclosed location. I, I hope I sound like I'm in a tunnel or something. I am sitting in also my bunker uh, somewhere deep, deep in the bowels of New York City. Yeah, I can't say uh, where I am because I have enough toilet paper for the foreseeable future. I didn't stock up. It's just like we're, we're a prepared household. I really find that part, I find that part the most funny because... 
because it's this is not a gastrointestinal disease. Right. Like, it's not as if you're going to be shitting your pants. Also, if you're staying home, you got the shower. <laughs> could be like a European. That's funny. Yeah. So uh, for uh, cyber listeners who uh, don't follow Vice internal emails, Vice's office uh, is closed for we got the foreseeable quarantine. future. Yeah. So I don't know if quarantined is the right word because I can like go outside and do stuff, but we can't come to Isolation and stuff? I don't yeah, know. Isolation We're social distancing. Yeah. We're not allowed to go to work anymore. So... Uh, I'm working from home. Ben is working from home. Everyone's working from home and it's a, uh, it's chaos, but here we are recording Cypher. Uh, hopefully we're releasing this on time just like every week. And, uh, damn, it's weird. It's, I gotta say it's weird. I'm, I, 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 I made the, I'm going a little I crazy. Like, I, I don't know. About I you. <laughs> like, well, I, I'm, I live alone. So I've, you know, I'm, if, if you ever find me, if this, this whole thing melts down, I'll be you know, I'll be roaming the streets, but I got to tell you, I, over the weekend I took a break and I was like, I'm just going to have a really chill weekend. And that was a big mistake because I spent my weekend in my apartment right? and I didn't account for the fact that I wouldn't be going to work. Yeah. And we like, I'm we feeling insane. Yeah. So we got to work on Monday and then we're sent immediately home. And, uh, I know yeah. I, I did too. Yeah. So anyways, we're, we're going to talk about cyber stories anyway. Um, I think yep, we, what, are. Do we, we have a coronavirus story to talk about, don't we? Let's talk. Let's open up with a coronavirus story. Okay. And then, then we'll move past it and we'll move past it. Then we'll move past yeah. it. Okay. So this one is actually kind of interesting on the topic of working from home. Uh, it's going to probably stress the system, the broadband system. So the title of this one is coronavirus will shine a bright light on crappy U.S. broadband. Yeah, so this is written by Carl Bode, who's been covering broadband access for 15 years, like a really long time. He's one of the best in the business. And what he's been writing about for years is the digital divide. Uh, the fact that, you know, some people in the United States have really good, fast internet and others do not. And it's like other countries in Europe, South Korea is notable as well, have sort of cheap fast broadband for everyone. Whereas in the United States, it's like, even in some cities, you can't get fiber internet. You can't get really fast cable internet. And and for other people, it's like, you can get it, but it's 70, 80, $90 a month. There's actually a study that came out earlier this week that was like, people's cable bills are now higher than all their other utilities combined, which is kind of mind blowing to me. So right now you have all these people who are working from home and having to do things like we're doing, which is uh, video chat and record audio and what have you. And, you know, I don't have fiber internet, but I have, I have decent internet that I pay way too much for. And I got decent internet. I got decent yeah, internet. But the, you know, there, yeah. there are a lot of people who don't have home broadband still. Uh, a lot of people rely on their cell phones, on their cell phone data plans. They use like Wi-Fi hotspots. If you're in a rural area, you might have to rely on really old DSL or satellite internet, which is really shitty. So it's like, it's just a smart article about how there are going to be a lot of ramifications for the fact that people have to work from home. A lot of people have to work from home. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's like, if you even have the luxury of working from home, we've also run articles about how like DoorDash drivers and Uber drivers, like, you know, they have to still go out there. They don't, you, they won't get paid, you know? Have you been door dashing? <laughs> I have not. I, I'm, I'm still out in the world. I went to the gym yesterday. I uh, went to a couple bars over the weekend. 
I it's I am kind of freaking out though. I don't really know what the correct amount of scared is to be. Uh, the information. I, is I went not, to a cafe yesterday. Uh-huh. That's what I did. I, it's kind of insane because you know this is also exposing like the U.S. healthcare system because in Canada, my home and native land, they've the government's like released this like very effective link where it tells you everything you need to know and about quarantine and everything. And I was looking at it as like the reference guide to what I should do. Whereas I live in the U.S., I pay my tax in the U.S., you can't find it. It's it's like a million sites. Dude, it's people don't know where they're going. The CDC like, didn't really... update its coronavirus uh, like information page over the weekend. They're like, we're we're up we're That's updating this like Monday through Friday between the hours of nine and five. And it's like it's just bonkers. Great, yeah. It's really crazy, and it's like I'm not someone it's, who who yeah, worries about insane. this sort of thing because I'm young and healthy. Like, thank goodness for myself, but. There are a lot of people who, um, you know, have people in their lives who might be immunocompromised or, or might be older, more at risk. And it's hard to know what to do. And it's hard to know how uh, seriously to take this. I just saw a story that said like Angela Merkel, the prime minister of two thirds. Two, yeah, she's, she thinks that two thirds of Germans are going to get coronavirus. And it's like, that's a lot of people, and that's. I mean, I don't. I also, don't know why. where's this stat? Where's it? Also, where's this stat coming from? We should. Can, can I learn about this stat? Like, is it going to happen? Yeah, here? I mean, like, I don't know why it would be any different in Germany than it would be in the United States, especially considering the fact that you know we still don't have very good testing. Like, it. I think that I've heard of people who I know, like friends of friends, who think they might be sick but haven't been able to get tested, so they have no idea, and it's it's just like crazy. Anyways, uh, the longer I talk about this, the more I'm going to spiral. So let's, uh, should we move on to some other cyber news? Yeah, let's move on to another cyber news story because this is just going to end up with us in our apartments crying alone. <laughs> uh, okay, so Amazon warehouse workers abandoning their jobs in droves. I mean, this is something that I think has been happening, but it's really picking up steam. This is another great story from Lauren. Yeah, so this was a report by the uh, National Employment Law Project, which sort of looks at, I don't know, employment law. (laughs) They looked at census data and were able to learn that Amazon warehouses have a really high turnover rate. And so what they learned is that the turnover rate- Kel surprise, Kel surprise. Yeah. It's just like, uh, you know, we've been reporting and lots of other people have reported on how it's very awful to work in an Amazon warehouse. You know, you have to walk up to 15 miles per shift. You have to lift really heavy boxes. Uh, you have to pack like hundreds of boxes per hour. Everything is sort of managed by an algorithm. And it's like you get fired if you're not efficient enough and that sort of thing. And also they have really high rates of injury. So uh, given all of this, people have been leaving, you know, Amazon warehouses in droves, as our article suggests. But uh, what is surprising here is like normally employers want to limit turnover, but Amazon actually welcomes this. Um, You know, they don't seem to mind that people leave because, you know, the longer they stay, you kind of have to give them raises or you have to, um, you know, they get used to what's going on. Maybe they'll organize. Um, The report didn't go like deep into why, um, why Amazon wants this, but I think you can speculate. It's like, you know, the longer people are around, the more they want to ask for basic human dignity um, or, uni- or unionization. Or unionization. Uh, you know, they're going to ask for raises and, and what have you. And it's like in some cases, Amazon has even been giving warehouse workers a two thousand to five thousand dollar bonus to quit, uh, which is pretty crazy. crazy. Yeah. So 
I mean, I think that it's going to be interesting to see as coronavirus spreads, like what's going to happen in where in these Amazon warehouses, because, uh, you know, people still expect their deliveries to come within a day or two. And I'm sure that there, you know, there's been a lot of stories about like Purell price gouging and mask price gouging on Amazon. And it's like, well, if the Amazon workers can't go to work because someone is exposed or someone gets coronavirus in one of these warehouses, like, are we still going to get packages? And I'm just curious to see what happens. Me too. So this one's another, you know, hilarious one that's also fucked up uh, from Sam Cole. It's about a company that's creating nudes of women based off of AI algorithms, but the nudes are not actually, they're not, they're not real women. They're, they're complete avatars, but they look very real. Why do we need that again? (laughs) I mean, uh, I think the same reason why we need, uh, machine learning for everything else. It's like one of the, it's like, why did they build it? Because they can. And I think, you know, this is, I I guess it's creepy. I, I really don't know what to say. It's like in the past, we've seen, um, websites that sort of do like automatically generate people's faces, automatically generate people's feet, automatically generates uh, like hotel rooms and cats. And it's like, it's this branch of machine learning called generative uh, adversarial networks where you sort of have two machine learning algorithms going going at each other and uh, they're learning from one another. And then at the end it spits out, you know, faces or it it just spits out something that is close to what you're asking for in the first place. So in this case, the website's called these nudes do not exist.com and it generates like a fake face as well as like a fake body. And you can buy these if you want for $1. Um, if you want to masturbate to a humanoid who does not actually exist in the real world, <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure Pornhub is free. I I think, you know, you tell me, I believe it's free. Yeah. As far as I know. <laughs> Not, as far yeah, as I, I mean, I, I heard the, the, say, if the rumors yeah, are true. For sure. Um, if the rumors are true. And it's like, yeah, these, these things all rely on like a data set of, in this case, nude women. And it's trying to generate, it's, it's like using that learning set to generate nude women. Um, and like a, a little side note is... The big one that went really viral a few years ago was, or maybe last year was this person does not exist.com. And it was just people's faces. It was like headshots essentially. And they were uh, completely fictitious. They were generated by the algorithm. So uh, they were not faces of real people. Well, it turns out that earlier this month, a smart chess startup. So it was like a chess board that, uh, had pieces move automatically uh, so that you could play against someone on the other side of the world. And it's like they move their chess piece on their board. You move your chess piece on your board or they move it on like their internet browser or whatever. And the pieces automatically move. It's kind of like Harry Potter chess or whatever. It it looked very cool. Um, The thing is, is that the video on the Kickstarter seemed to be edited. And if you scroll down on the Kickstarter, they were like, oh, here's six different people who worked on it. Here's our engineering team. And four of those people were seemingly generated using this person does not exist.com. So it's like they, it was just, I mean, this is unconfirmed. It's like, 
chess.com did an investigation into this and we wrote about it and we talked to the person who made that website and he thinks that these people are fake. But basically it's like you have companies that are now using these fake stock images to run elaborate scams essentially, which is pretty wild. Which is, yeah, it's pretty wild. It's yeah. pretty wild. Well, I guess that's what, uh, that's what the world's coming to when you're stuck in yeah, quarantine. Yeah, I have uh, I have one quick update on Banjo, which is the the first part of this story. Uh, since we ran that first story, we've run two more. Uh, the big one is we spoke to a bunch of former Banjo employees who told us that Banjo made a fake company. Well, it's a real company, but basically like a shadow company that was created by the founder, Damian Patton, but was not public facing. And this... Yeah, okay. so this company was called Pink Unicorn Labs, and they created apps that on their face looked, you know, normal. So one was like a One Direction fan app. Another one was like an EDM fan app that would tell you uh, when EDM artists were coming to your town so you could like go to their concerts or whatever. And the other was a racing game. And these apps would get your Facebook or Twitter login details, and then it would scrape it would like use that to scrape your social media and that of your friends and contacts. So we talked about this company, which is like scraping social media. We didn't know how it was scraping it. And it turns out that it was doing it with like these elaborate fake apps, uh, which is extremely sketchy. It's potentially illegal. We don't really know. I was going to say there, there has to be an illegal side to this. Yeah. I mean, we don't know this. I, I don't feel comfortable saying that they definitely broke, broke the law because it's like, the specifics matter here and the uh, the apps are offline and the uh, server that it was pinging, like the API that it was pinging have, has been offline for a few years now. So it's like, we can't look into all the specifics, but we talked to three former employees who said this was going on. Uh, we also talked to Twitter, which said that it banned Banjo from doing this a couple years ago. So we've confirmed that it, it definitely was using these fake apps to scrape social media, but we just don't know whether it was like using their OAuth tokens, which is, uh, you know, a token that is generated by an app that can then be used elsewhere to log into um, a person's account. And if they were doing that, that is definitely like that's hacking, that's illegal. Um, but we're not sure if they were doing that or if they were scraping it from the app itself. So that 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 like technical difference matters from a legal standpoint, but from a what was going down standpoint. It's like they use sketchy fake apps to scrape social media. And now they got a $20 million uh, government contract to build surveillance software. And it's just like, it's not good. It's not what you want from your government contractors. It's not. And I do think that their ZZ Top looking CEO or head of the company is likely not a fan of our website blog. Yeah, still haven't heard from him. We've now run three stories about them, asked for comment on all, haven't heard from them. Uh, we did learn that they lost some funding from the state of Utah yesterday. So uh, I will give us some credit on that. Uh, but this is still playing out. So we'll see what happens. Well, that concludes the first quarantined edition yeah. of Cyber. Uh, I hope it sounds okay. If the audio sucks, it's because I don't know how to use a microphone. But I think that it'll be all right. I think it'll be all right. All right. Cool. All right. Well, I'll see you soon, Jason. Right, farewell. Thank you. Goodbye. Farewell. This week's episode was recorded by Dylan Vukulich, edited by Ricardo Contreras, and produced and hosted by me, Ben Maku. You'll be hearing from me next week. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.